Coming up, I'll be joined by FPF writers Ian Pulzinski and Cody Ajada. And today, believe it or not, we are not talking about the Socceroos and them qualifying for the World Cup. I know it's unbelievable. Although, we are going to talk a little bit about some of the Socceroos and their situations abroad. A bit of Aussies abroad buzz. Some guys who aren't in the squad, how they're going. Potential moves in the upcoming transfer window as well. Then we're going to talk about Harry Kuehl. That's right, Harry Kuehl teaming up with Ange Postacoglu at Celtic. And uh, a bit of a breakdown of Harry's managerial um, career, which isn't good reading, but is it important? It's an interesting debate on that one. And then we'll finish talking about the Brisbane Raw. Close to signing Charlie Austin, if reports are to be believed. And uh, should be an interesting signing for them. We're going to have a little bit of discussion about him as well. So some Aussies abroad stuff, some A-League transfer stuff, some other Aussies abroad stuff with Harry Kuehl. It's all coming up right after this. I'm your host, Christian Marchetti. Be right back. Okay, so we're taping this at about 8.40 Australian Eastern Standard Time. It's a Sunday night um, and I'm here, joined today by FPF writers Ian Pulzinski and Cody Ajada is making his second consecutive appearance on the FPF podcast. So um, yeah, Ian, you you need to improve if you want to get uh, back-to-back appearances. <laughs> at the moment, you're a bit more at an intermittent stage. So um, yeah, you know, it's it's... It's tough. It's tough for selection. You know, it's competitive. So you got to get in there and, and, and really earn your spot. Anyway, <laughs> Cody and Ian with me. And today, tonight, we're going to discuss a few different things. We had our big Socceroos discussion. I think, you know, I, I think I've read enough. I think I've heard enough about the Socceroos now. I don't know about you guys. I think I'm like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. It's always good to relive that night, I guess. Yeah. 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 You know, I, I wouldn't, I don't know about like Simon Hill going on the ABC and, and discussing it as like one of the most incredible moments in like Australian football history and stuff. Look, I don't know. I, I don't think it's, I think it's that big. I don't think it's uh, up there with Uruguay and look, stuff. I don't think it's up there, Christian, with the Uruguay stuff, but considering like what went on with the COVID crisis and everything, this is definitely up there in terms of like the circumstances we face, like the, the hardship. Yeah, didn't didn't play in Australia for such a long time. I think, yeah. When was it? I think we started in twenty nineteen, and that game against Nepal in Canberra was that very first home game. Then two years later, Saudi Arabia. Um, so yeah, I just think that the circumstances, um, yeah, make it a very memorable uh, night or chapter in Australian football history. Yeah, I, I just think that some people might feel it's bigger than the Asian Cup win. Which, in my opinion, it's not. I, I still feel that's that's second. Obviously, Uruguay first. That's how I've always felt. Oh, and I mean, I guess we're you know we're twenty first century people, but people would probably talk about the nineteen seventy four and making that in 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 that as well. But anyway, getting off topic. So tonight we are going to start off with a bit of an Aussies abroad discussion. We we love our Aussies abroad here at Front Page Football, that's for sure. And uh, so yeah, we're just going to go through and discuss a few different players. 
three of the guys I've got listed here are Socceroos and we're part of that Peru win. Just going to discuss their futures, what their current situations are, where they could go, what they can do. And even I've got one guy here who's maybe listed as a potential bolter, a late bolter for the World Cup squad in Brad Smith. We'll start with him. Brad Smith from DC United, left back. Obviously, he's been in and out of the squad before. And I don't know. I think he left back's very competitive. Look, I thought Aziz Bajic was excellent in that game. He was fantastic. Almost scored the goal at the end, which would have been absolute scenes. Like Aziz Bajic on his right foot, almost curling one in bottom corner. Like, wow. Anyway, <laughs> but yeah, Brad Smith started every game in the MLS this season. And yeah, we did a post earlier today. Ian, 80 minutes, I think he's averaged per game, something like that. Three clean sheets. You know, it's he's been pretty solid, pretty solid. And when you look at Joel King, who started really well when he first went to Denmark and then kind of was in and out of the team, ended up playing the last few games. Jason Davidson's also another one who, funnily enough, I don't know, it was weird that he was a part of the pre-match press conferences. I, I, I don't know what you guys thought for the Peru game. It was kind of like, <laughs> but, but hang on, you're not you're not going to be playing at all. Yeah, that came up on my YouTube recommended feed actually the other day. I was thinking myself, hang on, this guy didn't even play and he was in the press conference. I was thinking... What the hell? <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, your peak soccer year was like 2015. <laughs> so anyway, but I guess I guess he's in the discussion. I don't know. So I've got Bayich, Smith, Davidson, and Joel King. And then it's, and then I guess anyone else outside of that, I think someone like a Callum Elder has played his way. I was about to say Callum Elder's probably worth being in the conversation. I, I don't know. I don't know. He's... He kind of dropped, you know, he dropped out of the squad for a bit there with Hull this season. And, and the, you know, it's, I just, yeah, I, I just don't really see him on the same tier as those other four, in my opinion. But Cody, I'll, I'll throw this to you then. I kind of just put it here, if you had to rank those four left backs right now, how would you rank them? And then I guess as a result, that would be the, the pecking order for Socceroos selection. Oh, without a doubt, I think you've got to have, as his page is number one, not just how he performs at club level, but for the Socceroos, he's been... He's been really player. consistent at club level, I have to say. Very consistent at club level and very consistent with the Socceroos as well. I think the only noticeably poor performance that I've seen from him was probably that first Japan game mm. when we played over in Japan. I know a lot of people were calling, oh, yeah, let's get him out of the squad after <laughs> that. But I think you're jumping the gun a bit there. I think they, he's been doing pretty well for us every other time we put the shirt on, so... Um, if I just put second, that's probably the toughest one, though. I think I'm going to go with a witch. I'm going to say Jason Davidson is my second, actually. I think the way he's been playing in the A-League this season, the experience he brings, I think that does give him the edge over Joel King and Brad Smith. I honestly can't split Brad Smith and um, Joel King, but I think both of them. On one hand, you've got someone that's got a bit more experience under their belt. On the other hand, you've got someone that's been for the last couple of years has been very, very good. And has a lot of potential in them. Um, just quickly about Aziz Bayic, we were talking about selection. Um, just so you know that he's a free agent at the moment. He's left his Turkish club. So it'll be very interesting to see where he goes. I do think that he will stay in Turkey. But he's got those family roots, cultural connections. So I think he will stay in Turkey. But if he, like, I don't know, Galatasaray, for example, Besiktas, that would be very, that would be a very good move. You know, playing possibly European. Oh, I don't think. Both sides qualified for European football, but oh, that's right. Even, awful season, didn't they? 
They did, yeah, they did. Yeah. They, I think they just they just scraped up, or it was like a mid-table finish. I, mm. I wasn't following it too in depth, but if they if he can go to a side, I don't know, Besiktas, even Konyaspor, they finished second in the Turkish league. Um, if he can go to a relatively high team, popular team in Turkey, that would be a very good move, and I think he will lock in that left back spot straight away if he can move to a very big Turkish club or a very competitive Turkish uh, t- club. Where have you been? Sorry. Yeah. Um, this it'd be a bit of a redemption for him as well, considering he was at Istanbul. Um, I don't know how to pronounce the second word, but yeah, that's what I was gonna say. He, he's kind yeah. of been this. He's kind of been this silent achiever in a way. You know, we saw him in the Melbourne Heart days come out, and it, it was like this kind of new thing, and he looked good, and then he eventually went to Turkey, which I'm assuming was through family connections and and cultural connections, like insane for sure. You can see that, and. Yeah, with with Istanbul, uh, Basakshir, he was he was good. He was good for a few years there, and then it seemed like the top Turkish clubs didn't really fancy him anymore, and he kind of went to he went to Duran Sunspor. I think I've said that wrong. Anyway, whatever. And he's had a really good season, as Ian's saying. And I just wonder if he's having maybe this late, you know, this late peak again, uh, and maybe could force his way back into into suitors for 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 some of the yeah more prestigious Turkish clubs. But uh, yeah, I think, I think it's Bayic. It's then I think the backup, the backup is where things get interesting though, in that role. Like you could, you could really make a case for any of these guys. Brad Smith is a really good attacking option. And I think we've always, when he's played for the national team, I think we've always admired his fitness and his physical ability from that point of view. But then there's Joel King and you think, well, why not go with the younger of the three when you think of someone like Joel King and give him an exposure in, in a tournament like this? And then Jason Davidson has been there and done that with the Asian Cup and he knows he knows how to perform a big game. So, I mean, Cody, there's there's arguments for all of them there. Oh, 100%. Um, that experience is why I personally have Jason Davidson as a backup. But um, we saw in that last squad he did want to take three. I don't know if that was because we did have an extended squad for those games. But if you're only looking for two... I'd personally want Jason Davidson as a backup. I think the form he's in, the experience he brings to the side, I think that's what those aspects are going to give him the edge over the other two. Yeah, definitely. And can I, can I just add about Brad? Yeah. Oh, sorry, can I just add about Brad Smith? I think a lot of people are just underestimating, maybe not underestimating him, but underappreciating what he's doing or how he's playing in America and the MLS. But let's not forget MLS is a very competitive league now. Before it used to be a retirement league that got those farmers league vibes, but now it's turning into a very, I think we mentioned this earlier in the podcast with Diego, that the MLS is becoming like a second home for young talent in that's uh, from Latin America. So let's not forget that the MLS maybe look, Javis, David, Jason, Dave, sorry, Jason Davidson might have the experience uh, of playing, being in that Socceroos camp more playing in the A-League, but Brad Smith as well. He's been playing in the MLS. Sure. Maybe his side isn't doing too well, but he's getting that exposure against, some very competitive players in a very, very professional environment that is growing stronger every day. Well, I don't want to come across as a terrible journalist here, but if I'm not mistaken, he won the MLS last year with Seattle. Am I wrong? Or was it two years ago? Not too sure. He did win something with Seattle. Yeah. Um, I'm yeah. not too sure. I'm not too sure if it was the what they call the grand final ish or it was the minor premiership. I'm not hundred percent sure. Um, but yeah. he did win something with, with Seattle. Definitely. He definitely did. Um, yeah. And yeah, front page football is known for its Aussies abroad coverage and we don't know that. So sorry. 
Uh, sorry, Brad Smith. Um, anyway, the yeah, I think it's an interesting point that you make because the MLS. Some people start to talk about it as some people have compared it to the French league now, and like are thinking, is it like nearing the top five? And so, look, I think that's a little bit. I think it's a little bit far fetched, but it's definitely when Australians go, when Australians go to America now, I think you have to not look at it as, oh, whatever, you know, I, I think it is, I think it is competitive and I think they can definitely progress in their career as they do that. But um, yeah. So the left back discussion is an interesting one. I think if Smith, Smith has got the benefit of being in season right now, that's for sure. And now Joel King and Davidson aren't, and we're going to see already saw a report today. Graham Arnold has come out and said he wants to talk to James Johnson and Danny Townsend about starting the A-League earlier next year, which is, I mean, <laughs> kind of works for Graham Arnold, doesn't it? You know, he does, have, he does have that power. He does have that power. So he can potentially have that chat and see what he can do. And that might help someone like a Jason Davidson. That's for sure. So it's interesting. I think at this stage, I would have Joel King as that backup because I think the age thing is important. And I think we've seen with Rolls, with Atkinson, these guys that giving them the exposure in these high-pressure environments is important. So that's what I would do. But Smith, I would keep an eye out for for challenging Bayich for that spot uh, come come Qatar in November. So there's that one. Uh, we'll move on. And I want to talk a little bit about Awa Mabil. So we spoke about Mabil uh, in, the, in the review podcast from Peru. We spoke about his performance a little bit. Uh, yeah, I thought he was. I thought he was decent off the bench. Nothing, nothing amazing. Not, no, you know, no peak Mabil performance or anything like that. But he was, he was dangerous. He was good. Anyway, I went, uh, went to go watch the, went to watch Comets Adelaide City game yesterday, just here in SA in the NPL. And uh, what do you know? Alan Bill was there, so he was, he was spectating. He was watching the game. Uh, and uh, yeah, I know he's. You know, his cousin. So yeah, he was there with him and saying hello and yeah, got to meet him. So that was, that was pretty cool. Pretty surreal. And it was great to see, look, it's great to see Awa, Awa there. And um, a lot of people going up to him, congratulating him. And particularly after the comments that he made about, about, you know, how much basically loves the country and, and how much it meant to him to score that penalty and stuff. Then to see everyone kind of go up to him and congratulate him for, for making it was, was really, really nice to see really wholesome uh, stuff. So yeah, really, really nice to see that with Mabil and a couple of people asking about, you know, how he's going to go in Spain. And I guess that led me to let's have a discussion about that. So Mabil, Spain, what do we think? Good. Very good. Uh, and it's good that he's joining a side like Cadiz, um, which just survived relegation because that gives a sign that possibly he will get, or well, hopefully he will get um, consistent minutes. That's what we want from our soccer is playing in a very, probably the most one of the most competitive leagues uh, in the world. If he gets that regular exposure, doesn't matter if he's playing, I don't know, Real Madrid at home, Real Betis away. If he can get those 90 minutes, even 80 under his belt, week in, week out, it will be a fantastic move for him. And I think that it will benefit the Socceroos. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Cody, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I think even the style of, Spain they have in, uh, style of play they have in Spain We'll see him to a team. We spoke a bit on the pod last week, the difference between him and Martin Boyle, where Martin Boyle's that more direct player, whereas Mabil, he'll hold onto the ball, he'll want to take cold players on, got a bit of flair under his belt. I think that will suit him in Spain a little bit. And not just that, but just seeing him go up against world-class defenders as well. Like Ian just said, those games against 
They got Real Madrid, Betis, Barcelona. They all got world-class fullbacks, and it'll be perfect opportunity for him to consistently test himself against the best in the lead-up to the World Cup. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things here. One main one from someone who's watched LA United through the years and watched Mabil when he was here was his best football, arguably. I mean, he had a good period there with with Michelin, but I would still say his best football came when he played under Gombau, who was a Spanish coach here in Adelaide. So that's that's a big plus. And he definitely understands how to play in a possession-based system. He did that with Adelaide a long time. And Michelin being one of the top clubs in Denmark did that as well. So it's actually, from that point of view, then it's going to be different probably going to Cadiz where they're probably going to be sitting back a bit more, having less of the ball because they are in relegation trouble. So maybe that unleashes him a bit more as an option on the counter-attack and this sort of thing as well. So it's going to be interesting. And yeah, I think, look, I think we all want him to succeed. I think he's a great, he's a great personality. He's a great role model. Uh, for particularly for the African Australian footballers that we have coming through, excellent role model he is for them as well. And yeah, it's interesting, you know, because Mabil, I think as well that his, I don't want to say you could say his career kind of lulled for a little bit there, like just just for twelve to eighteen months there, where if I remember correctly, hearing that his contract situation with Michelin was one of the issues that kind of led to him you know falling out of the squad and then and then eventually leaving and that was difficult i remember him saying on a podcast i was listening to because he actually had a very close connection with the fans there and the fans loved him and yet they you know as as a lot of fans do they can't really understand what's going on behind the scenes and that's you know that's frustrating so it'll be interesting now because he's still managed to get this move you hope as ian said he'll be playing week in week out because they are a lesser team and he can kind of rejuvenate himself in in a bigger spotlight in Spain. So, yeah, that's um, that is an interesting one. We'll keep a close eye on that. Another situation which is definitely the most interesting, I think, out of all of these is Aaron Moy. And basically, <laughs> yeah, w- what the fuck's going on with the Chinese Super League? That's 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 how I'll put it. <laughs> I think the league, no, the league started. Christian, they've actually uh, resumed the league. It's uh, Match yeah. Day 2 or something that. And I don't know, like, what's going on behind yeah. closed doors and all the foreigners, all the major foreigners, apart from Oscar, have just left. Even the naturalized um, mm. Chinese Brazilians have now left. They've gone back to Brazil. So I don't know what is going on there with China. There's a lot of, I don't know, economically as well. Um, yeah, I don't know. Moi should just leave China as soon as possible get out first plane available and even come back to Australia in the A-League. That's what I recommend. Maybe Melbourne city, even just to get some minutes under his belt. We've seen what he's done against the UAE and Peru respectively. And he hasn't lost his magic despite not playing football for such a long time. Yeah. Well, China don't want to go on too much of a tangent here, but remember, you know, there was a period there with the Chinese super league where it was basically you know, every transfer window, there would be two or three players who would just go for like 30 plus million to the Chinese Super League. And you would basically just look at your phone and be like, what the fuck has just happened there? Like, you know, <laughs> how's that happen? Where, what's that? 50 million even. I still remember yeah. the yeah. whole Alex Texera to Liverpool saga where Liverpool yeah. were contemplating they want to spend 50 million on him. Transfer window closes and Jiang Su go, oh yeah, we'll pay that. No yeah. questions. It's like, yeah, no worries. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, Christian, just a random fact right now. Um, Shanghai Port are playing right now in the Chinese Super League and mm. Moy is not in the team. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, well, I'd imagine that they are not. So here's, here's the breakdown because just doing, just doing some research into this today. And, well, here's Moy's games played. He's played 31 games for Shanghai Port since he moved there. Now, he moved there <clears throat> excuse me, in, I think, 2020. So it was ahead of, the, ahead of the 2021 season was when he moved there. Now, obviously, COVID interruptions, so you have to take that into account, of course. But <laughs> it's 31 games in almost two years. And in the 1920 season, I looked this up, he played 33 games total. So, you know, that's it, it, quite astonishing. In that one season, he played more games than he has in almost the last two years at club level. And I mean, you can factor in the international games and, and obviously you'd, you'd beat that. But, you know, unbelievable. And the club, uh, Shanghai Port, they appealed to force him to return to China for, for their preseason uh, to, to FIFA, I'd imagine, um, when we called him up for, for the UAE and Peru games. And it's just, it, it just doesn't look like a good situation. Simple as that. You know, they would be pissed off now. It's probably the reason, you know, he, he's probably, if he, even if he goes back, not going to be involved for, for a few weeks uh, as probably a punishment sort of thing, I'd imagine. And yeah, like, you know, when, you, when you're him, if you're him, and you have a look at all these players leaving elsewhere, you know, why would you stay, really? I, yeah, unless it's, unless it's a money thing with him, but he doesn't seem to strike me as, as someone who, who's, you know, money hungry or anything like that. It's a weird one as well because from what I've heard, his family's not based in in China either. They're still based in, from what I remember, Scotland. So considering everything that's going on in China, even outside the football, just the lockdowns, particularly in Shanghai, it does, I'm not sure if Moy got stuck in it personally, but if that's a situation that continues and on top of that, his club's not respecting him, they're punishing him for representing his country, why would any footballer want to stay in an environment like that? I'd be on the first plane back to Australia, back to Scotland, wherever you can get a contract, even if it's at a perceived lower club in Scotland, just to get some minutes in the lead up to the World Cup. Well, I was just thinking, just, just, I've just literally come up with a potential transfer destination on the spot here for, for Aaron Moy. We were just talking about the MLS. Now, we were just talking about the MLS, and I think the main thing that I was thinking was that it's in season already, and... Ian was talking about him going to Melbourne City because to get some minutes under his belt, but he could go to America and and actually have minutes under his belt, you know, more minutes under his belt than potentially Irvine and, and these other midfielders because that, you know, they're in season right now. And that will lead him nicely into into Qatar. So just thinking off the bat, that's a potential option for him. But um yeah, I don't know, Ian, did you did you have some other potential destinations for, for Aaron Moy? Uh, possibly Scotland. Uh, that'd be mad to see because he's already got that uh, environment with uh, St. Mirren uh, in Scotland before. Didn't I think he featured as well. Uh, so I, think, I, think he, I think he's a bit bigger than St. Mirren now. Yeah, no, no, definitely. But I'm just saying that like he's got that connection um, with Scotland. So that's where his football career really uh, started, you could say. Um, but yeah, Scotland would be nice. Um, I would just love to see more in Japan for some reason. I just mm. would love to see... We all know that Japan is a very is known for its um, how tactical it is. Um, so, and Aaron Moy suits that profile. <clears throat> pardon me. 
So I would love to see Aaron Moy uh, in the Japanese league because I just think, as, you, as I said earlier, just the tactical aspect would be mad to see. You've got players like Iniesta playing in that competition. And, you know, we all know Iniesta's not the quickest or anything like that, but he's very technical, very good on the ball. And I think that that league would suit Aaron Moy. It'd be fantastic to see as well because the J League is high quality um, and now it's getting a lot of recognition on the international stage. Um, so, yeah, I would love to see Moy in either the Scottish League, the Japanese League or in the A League. Yeah, I agree. I actually, so I've mentioned MLS and now I'm also going to mention potentially staying in Asia because... You know, funnily enough, when he actually did play for Shanghai, he was one of their best players. The Chinese Super League stats for him, I'm pretty sure, were something like six goals, three assists in like 17 games. You know, that's... You know, obviously, we know Aaron Moy as in his prime when he was here with, with Melbourne City and just playing out of his skin. He was scoring goals from midfield. And it's not really something he does very often anymore for the national team, but he was doing that for Shanghai when he was playing and, and they were and their league was fine and they were playing every week. So, yeah, you know, playing with the likes of Oscar and and so on and having that having that combination on the pitch as well. So, I think staying in Asia would be good. I agree with Ian. The technical nature of Japan would be good. I think, and yeah, I just think it's a really good league uh, as well and, and definitely suitable for, for his quality too. I think one thing with Japan as well, what um, you mentioned before about the MLS, where if he goes over there, there in season, he'll be getting minutes. can be the same um, thing in Japan as well. They're currently in their season. That's right. He gets minutes under his belt. And I'm pretty sure if I'm correct, their season does run a little bit longer than the MLS. So he'd probably be coming closer to just before the midpoint of their season. There's still a fair chunk of their competition to go. I'm not sure if they're going to bring forward the end date for the World Cup or if they're going to... Yeah, they probably have to bring forward the end date because of the World Cup. But um, he'd get a good running with them in a league that's going to suit his style. Yeah. All right. That uh, that concludes the Moy discussion. We'll talk about his midfield partner for the soccer is Jackson Irvine then. Jackson Irvine. Interesting one. So I thought there was a period there towards the end of last season where I thought, shit, he might actually get promoted here with St. Pauli and he'll be playing Bundesliga next year. You would hope. So, but they missed out, I think, by six points in the end. And yeah, I, I guess my question is, if I'm Irvine, do I think, well, I, I still think I'm good enough to actually play in the Bundesliga. Should I talk to my agent and, and try and angle still for a move to the top tier? Let's, let's not forget, a certain other Aussie is joining St. Pauli or has already joined St. Pauli in midfield as a potential ready-made replacement, Conor Metcalf. So. Look, about Jackson Irvine, I think... Uh, he should stay at St. Pauli because I think St. Pauli will still compete for the Bundesliga. I don't think that this is that that season that St. Pauli just had is just a one-off where, oh no, we were so close, we mm. just couldn't make it. I still think that they will be competing. I don't know too much about German football, but I think that they will be up there in the mix for definitely an automatic promotion spot. And the thing about Irvine is that he's comfortable in St. Pauli, so I don't think that he should move um, anywhere else in Germany. And he's getting minutes. He did have a you know, the start of the season was pretty rough with some fitness issues, but he's becoming like a, I don't know, playing easy between 70 to 90 minutes in the Bundesliga 2, which is fiercely competitive. He's a, ve- he's a very fit guy. He, he's, yeah. Yeah, I would say he's our fittest midfielder for sure. And it's just, uh, he's, I think he's a little bit underappreciated in, in the Socceroos or by Australian media, just the work he does and 
the amount of balls he wins. Sure, he, he does the dirty work. Here's the, you know, you he know does... what the, sorry, you know what the most commonly used, and, it, and it's Simon Hill, he, it's his fault for this. The most commonly used sentence to describe Jackson Irvine's move to St. Pauli is, oh, you know, never will you see, never will you see a club more suitable for the player than St. Pauli and Jackson Irvine. It's like, yeah. okay, okay, Simon, we get it. Right. <laughs> okay, yeah, you've mentioned it about, about 50 times, but all good. <laughs> we get it. St. Pauli are like this kind of trendy, you know, club, and Jackson Irvine's kind of suave and cool and trendy as well. You know, all right, cool. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, extend oh. your analysis beyond that. Anyway, oh. <laughs> the, um, I'll pose this question to Cody. One thing I have about Irvine, now I've spoken about him with the Socceroos. I think I do like the way Arnold uses him. He tries to get him in positions to score, he tries to get him to break into the box when the ball goes out wide because he is that type of midfielder that arrives late in the box and does these sorts of things. He is a true number eight box to box. But when you actually look at his stats this season, he only scored once in 31 games to St. Pauli. And even, yeah, I had a look at this as well. Averaged 0.8 shots per game, which yeah, again, if you want to be a goal scoring midfielder or a box to box midfielder, you might want to get those numbers up. And I just wonder if that's an area of his game you might look at improving. I think we've seen it, not just, maybe you haven't seen it at St. Pauli, but we've seen it elsewhere, both with the Socceroos and other clubs he's been at. He's, at Hibs, at Hibs, he scored goals, yeah. I understand, he's got, he definitely has goals up his arsenal. I wouldn't let one season in Germany no. um, sway that opinion. At the end of the day, it could just be the role that he's playing. He might just be trying to take a load off um, some other midfielders to let them go forward and score some goals. It might, at the end of the day, it could be for a myriad of reasons why he's not exactly getting those goals, but He's got it. He's got it in his arsenal for us. He does it well for us. Obviously, he's not going to score a goal a game for us, but um, I don't think it's a massive area of concern, in my opinion. Yeah, I think I think it's a good point. You know, when you mentioned Hibs and the other ones, even at uh, at Hull, we'd pop up here and there. Ross County earlier in his career, he he was goal scorer as well, scored a few goals. So maybe it's a system thing with St. Pauli. Maybe it's the manager. It's that and the other. So we'll have a look at that, I guess, for next season. Anyway. We'll move on. We'll finish with a little bit of discussion about the under-23s Asian Cup. And we'll talk about the Oli Ruse. Cody looks like he's smiling, kind of. He wants to He wants to jump on this. Go for it. <laughs> 23s, look, honestly, I was both very, very happy and in a way a little bit disappointed watching that how that campaign unraveled because it started with a whole lot of promise. We held on to the ball really well. We were able to move the ball around. Just really for well. the just for the listeners, Australia obviously lost the third place playoff yesterday to Japan three 0 and ended up finishing fourth in the tournament. Anyway, Cody, take it away. But it was just nice to see an Australian side consistently take control of the game and look to play on the front foot, play very very good attacking football. And it's exciting that, that these guys are genuinely going to be the future of our national team. There's probably six players in there that I could think off the top of my head that I'd almost get in the Socceroos within the next 12 months between Rishbaguelo, Miller, um, Tyrese Francois, Alou Kual. I think those players like that are players that are probably going to be in the Socceroos sooner rather than later. The biggest thing that disappointed me, however... I'm, I'm happy that you didn't mention Louis Dorigo. Look, I know he scored that great goal <laughs> in the group stage and stuff, but I've watched that guy... Sorry, look, I watched him under Gertian Verbeek and as, as bad as that tenure was, here in Adelaide, <laughs> he was he was actually one of the shining lights. And then I don't know what's happened under Carl Vert, but he's just been a just a disaster class every week. But anyway, just I'm glad that you didn't mention him. Anyway, 
gone. Well, look, with Dorigo, I, I personally do like him as a player. The reason why he's probably not doing so well now is the Juan de Isaias connection is probably struggling to fit into that. The only reason why I wouldn't put him in that list is because we do have a plethora of midfielders to pick from. So it's hard to do. It's hard to kind of weave him in there. But um, one thing that we spoke about last week with Graham Arnold and his number nine issue where he does not know how, how he wants his number nine to um, play sometimes. Mm. And the biggest thing that I saw with the 23s was we struggled to get the ball to number nine again. Mm. I look, while he's always in decent positions, a lot of work up front, but I felt like we struggled to get the ball at his feet in the box. And we gave him half a chance in the Iraq game and look what he did. That's a freakish goal that if it's not if it, that doesn't get the Puskas award, there's something very <laughs> but it's it just seems like that's a consistent issue no matter what level of Australian football. And as much as there was a lot to like in that tournament, that is an issue that does still bug me very, very much. Yeah, I think the issue here is there's a lot of focus in coaching circles, in coach development around designing sessions that help you to keep the ball and to have control from a possession point of view. And then also on the flip side, to press well, to always press high, win the ball higher up the pitch as much as possible, which is great. But and I've heard the Federation go on about this before and here locally as well in, in SA around the importance of effective possession and not just the pe- possession. But at the end of the day, part of effective possession is that that has to lead to chances and chance creation in the final third. And what we lack between our teams at the moment is it's the final pass and it's a lack of combinations in the final third. It's a lack of link between midfield midfielders and attackers. And in particular, you know, getting creative midfielders, creative number 10s into positions where then they can be effective and, and break down defenses with, with key passes. Well, Christian, we saw that against Peru. I thought Australia did really well defensively and in the mm. midfield, but we just couldn't get that midfield into the final third. Like a, we couldn't, mm. we just couldn't, we weren't threatening up front. We, we just couldn't, uh, and we, we did well yeah. defensively. We did well mm. defensively in the midfield. We won second balls and everything. We went into tackles well, but we just couldn't get that final pass into the final third um, up front. And we just lacked that quality. And again, Krustic for me had a quiet game. He didn't do much. It's not, it wasn't his fault. It was because we just couldn't link up. There was just no, as I said, there was no link between the midfield to the attack that just could, could just gel together. It was just, yeah. Well, I, I agree with what I remember in the in the last podcast, he was talking about McLaren and he was talking about how he was used against UAE. And listening to that back, I agree. Having strikers come short to the ball, trying to link up, essentially playing more like false nines. I think for Australia, when you look at... And in the 23s as well, you look at the wingers in the 23s too. You've got wingers who can play more as inside forward type players. Like if you wanted to use the best example of this, it's it's the Liverpool front three of of Firmino, Salah and Mane. Funnily enough, Mane's now left. Firmino's not the same player he was. Anyway, that's coming off topic. But, <laughs> you know, when Firmino, if you want to lose this extreme example, Firmino is the false nine dropping in and then you've got the two wingers coming inside, always coming inside and, and making narrow runs, essentially becoming two strikers. I think that sort of model might be something that Australia could look to when they're developing their teams because the, when you look at, you've got wingers who can score goals and can get in goal-scoring positions. You know, looking at the 23s, you've got uh, Bernardo is 
is an example. Scored a few goals for Adelaide this season. He knows how to score goals. You know, he, he frustrates you in various other ways, but he does know how to score goals when he can get there. Um, and even someone like Tristan Hammond, who has actually has actually scored a fair few goals in, look, it's Austrian second tier, whatever. But if you've got guys who know how to score goals, no matter what level, then naturally getting them more into areas where they can score goals and not into wide areas where they always have to cross the ball or always have to wait for a fullback to overlap and all this sort of stuff. I think we need to utilize our wingers more as, as goal scorers. And Christian, it's not like that we don't lack wingers. We've got Boyle for pace. We've got Awa Mobile. We've got Craig Goodwin as well. Uh, Tilio, who could be down the wing. So I don't but think... You know, with, he... Yeah, sorry. It's interesting that you mentioned Boyle because we spoke about Boyle from the Peru game. He, he talked about how he's brilliant at take-ons and he drives at defenders and he, and he can take them on 1v1, blah, blah, blah. But instead of Boyle always having to get the ball in a wide area and then bring it inside all the time, what if he's narrowing off all the way in and he's making those runs and receiving it right in behind and it's beat a defender and shoot on goal straight away. You know, getting plays in those sorts of positions. It's it's something I'd like to see maybe more of. I think that's been my criticism of Cassini Yangi is that I don't feel he is the type of striker who can come in and he can link. He did it in patches for Adelaide, patches here and there. He could do it, but he is he's very physical. He's very athletic and he relies on that a lot. And I think that type of striker is is difficult with the way that Australia want to try and play. I think with Yangi in the 23s, he's talking his struggles to kind of get involved in that link-up play. But with the 23s, I felt like his best performances for us came when he was playing as a wide player. That first 30 minutes um, in the Iraq game before he was somehow sent off. I don't want to go into that because that's going to make me mad. Um but that period before he got sent off, he was picking up the ball kind of in the half space and he was just driving at defenders. And you, you could tell that was struggling to keep up with him because you're talking not just someone that's very, very quick and good on the ball, but he's also got a big frame. So it's kind of hard to push off as well. Yeah. And him in those wide areas, that's probably an insight to where if he does end up in, at a soccer level, that's how we that best utilize him in those areas. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And um, so the 23s, Let's have a look at the squad today. So Joshua Rollins, Lewis Miller, two right backs, both earning moves. Uh, recently, we saw Rollins get that move to Utrecht in the Eredivisie. Don't know if I pronounced that right. In anyway, and then we had, <laughs> and then we had Lewis Miller, of course, signed for Hibs as well. So I, I remember making this point in the last pot around, you know, wait for, let's wait and see. This current crop is an interesting crop because I think you've got. A lot of, it's a lot of talent that's been produced by the A-League. So you're not too sure what that means. Does that mean that that the A-League's doing the right thing and clubs are actually doing the right thing and these guys, a lot of these guys will actually go on and have decent careers in Europe? Maybe. Or does it mean, all it is is that, you know, a lot more young players are playing and just as a result, you, you know, it's, it's, it's a... It's a case of what's what's the phrase I'm looking for here? You know, when when so many young players are just basically getting opportunities, you're bound to basically have a few that are going to look good and 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 go on and have bigger and better things, which is which is a testament to the clubs for for giving them opportunities. But Rawlins and Miller were a couple of examples. Will we see more? Maybe even in this transfer window, out of that squad, potentially earn some moves to Europe. 
Um, look, Christian, just a bit off topic, but for example, mm. you look at the Saudi Arabia team, you look at the Korean team, Japan even, they don't really have anyone playing in Europe. So I think it sh- it's a testament to show that the A-League can produce players, is competitive, and it doesn't. we don't need to go Europe, Europe straight away. I think that's a risky gamble for a lot of young players is this view of Europe. Oh, like Daniel Azani just always comes up to a mind in that view <laughs> where he goes just, you know, step too early into the uh, into the European continent and that's what happens. Look, I think this whole Europe thing is just a bit overrated in my opinion. How's the, um, how's the uh, Daniel Arzani Sydney FC comeback rumours going? Oh, um, strong, I think. I think. Um, he's definitely coming back to Australia, that's no doubt. Jesus. Um, can confirm that he's coming back to Australia. Um, either Brisbane Raw or Sydney FC, I think, on loan from City Football Group still. I'm not too sure if it's a permanent. Um, what are they? What are he, they? I don't think, if you're doing that, obviously you're either hoping that he could get good and then play, which they obviously don't think that. City football group. So obviously they're going to try and hope that he does well and then, I don't know, get some kind of sell-on value. I don't see that at all. What's the point of the line? Anyway. Yeah, but look, as I said, I think this whole Europe thing, like, as I said, Japan, they don't have anyone playing in Europe and they're under 23. Saudi Arabia, I doubt, I highly doubt South Korea have anyone. Anyway, it just, I think this whole Europe thing is just a craze that for the Euro stops, honestly, like, so what, like, it shows that the A-League... It's strong. It's competitive well, and it's a good environment yeah. for youth players. Yeah. What's interesting though is you talk about Saudi Arabia and Japan, you just mentioned them and both of them finished above us in this tournament. So maybe there's something here in the fact that because all their players play in-house, they play in the domestic league, they then in the, the international the national team program as well. So everything is basically kept in-house. It's a lot easier to understand a player's pathway, to understand what he needs what's going on with him, blah, blah, blah. When you've got, and that's not to say that there's an issue here with Australia's approach, not at all, but it maybe does make it harder when you've got guys like like Francois coming from England, then you've got Hammond coming from Austria and Yengi's coming from Australia and, and this, that, and the other. And they're all coming from these different sections of the world. And there's, everyone's almost isolated with their clubs. So then when they come in, it's a lot harder to basically build maybe a sense of a sense of continuity in in the style of play look and i'm just having a look right now at the squads uh south korea i've got three players outside of south korea playing um in the under 23s uh playing outside of korea um japan and they got um what is it i think four players outside of japan and saudi arabia everyone's playing in the domestic league like the uh, senior national team so i guess Look, as I said earlier, not much of an issue if it's about Europe or going to another league. Just stay put for now, in my opinion. Develop in the A-League and see how you go. I think one thing I find with why we do end up with a massive exodus of players that are going to Europe, in those leagues you mentioned, South Korea, Saudi Arabia, Japan, they do get paid a lot better than what they would in the A-League. So I do feel like that's why young a lot of young players, the moment they see that opportunity to go to Europe, it's not just about the increased opportunities or what they, what's in front of them, but it's also just a bit of a payday as well. The thing of, in Japan, they don't need to go to countries like Scotland or Austria to get an increase on what they're going to be earning. But who, who do you think... Would. Yeah, who, who do you think... Is that a blame on the player? Is that a blame on the agent for not looking out for development and just trying to get a commission? I don't know if it's a blame on anyone. I just think there's not... At the end of the day... A football career is only so finite. 
um, you've got 10 or 15 years to earn a bit of money. I guess that, that might play on the players' minds. Not just that, but at the end of the day, Japan and Saudi Arabia, they do have very, very good use systems, as proved. You know what? It's Australian football's fault for not having any money. That, that's, that's what it is. Damn it. <laughs> well, look, it's at the end of the day, in Japan and Saudi Arabia as well, they don't have rugby, AFL, cricket to mm. compete with constantly as well. But um, that's what I mean. In that sense, I also don't mind if the fact that that lack of pay in the A-League forces them to kind of look for those moves into Europe as well, because at the end of the day, there's really new systems in Europe. And as much as it may be a continuity thing where we've got to try and work out how we're going to match up 12 A-League players with this guy from Portugal and this guy from Austria and these guys from England. But what they need to make sure they do is pick the right moves. We saw, obviously, the Alzani's example of someone who, as much as injury played their part, didn't pick the didn't make the right career choices. Well, here, yeah, but it's interesting you bring up Alzani again because I've always had this opinion around Australians going to Europe is that I feel there's a there's almost two different age groups. So from 15 to 17, I think is one age group where you should go because you're young enough that you could actually go into academy. And then once you go into an academy, then you get produced by that academy. So, which no offense is most likely going to be better than the academies here. So there's that. Now, obviously, that's, that's not necessarily true in all cases. I'm not going to just, you know, bash the crap out of Australian football. It's not, it's not necessarily true in all cases. So there's that. But then I also feel there's the other there's the other direction, which is go to Europe at about, you know, 21 to 23 later. So what that means is you've actually had, you've come through an A-League club. Then you've actually been one of the better young players in the A-League for a couple of seasons. And then, you know, you're basically more at the top of the tree in terms of the young talent in the A-League. So when you're moving to Europe, you know, you come with a bit more of a reputation. You come with a bit more of experience. You've hopefully been in high pressure situations in the A-League. You can imagine if you're, you know, you think of McGree. McGree was a good example of this, rather than McGree, because when he first went, he went way too early and then he, and then he came back and then he did well again. And then when he actually went again, then you saw the difference because he'd actually then come back. He'd done well with Newcastle got himself on the map with a scorpion kick, whatever, you take it. And then, you know, he, he's gone there and he's been he's been really good uh, when he's gone back to Europe uh, since. Uh, so, yeah. Can I just say sorry? Can I just say sorry? Um, bit off topic, I know. Uh, just had a look at the squads. Uh, for me, just quickly, player of the tournament was Jay Rich Balagu. I don't know how to say his last name, but uh, Jay Rich. I'll just call him Jay I think Rich. it's ba- Bagaloo. Bagaloo. Okay, Jay Rich Bagaloo. Uh, player of the tournament, very mature just looks tall. Imagine him and Suta at the back just for the senior teams. Like, twin under, Towers. Yeah, Twin Towers. And that's scary. That's like, nightmare as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. but, I remember... But from, yeah. yeah. No, uh, Jay Rich Bagaloo, he was... He came under fire for... not. No, it wasn't his fault. It was Arnold's fault because... Remember that? It was the Olympics. It was the last game of the Olympics and he got subbed uh-huh. on with like 30 minutes to go to play as a striker. And you're just like, what the fuck is going on? This is like Arnold. It's like it's, it's like the Arnold Redman thing, but he actually got it completely wrong. And, and, it's and interesting, it's, you know, honestly, because Jay Rich Bag- Bagaloo, I thought it was Baguelo. I'm, I'm not very good with my pronunciation today, but um, he, I'm, from memory, he did start his career as a striker. So there might have been that thing with Arnold going, okay, big striker. We'll yeah, try and I, don't, I don't know. Like you said, but Redman situation, but completely flipped on his head. 
Did you play striker when you were like under 10? Yeah, I did. Okay, you're up top. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, like that's what it felt with. That, that That's how like poor Arnold had started coaching uh, by the end of that tournament. Anyway, yeah, uh, it, this is Arnie. This is Arnie Love Week because he because he lost the World Cup. So let's let's you know let's put the haters away for just for one more day. Tomorrow I'll start hating on you. Again. Anyway, but I'm um, going back to the point with um you said that that 21 to 23 age gap once they're one of the better players in the league going overseas. I was just about, about to mention Cami Devlin. That's mm-hmm. someone who probably picked his move right time, right move, going to a club that screwed screwed the Jets. I with didn't, it, but yeah, I didn't think it was. Personally, I didn't realize he was going to slot straight into the side, but he pretty much went straight over there. First team player, playing week in, week out. A little bit surprised he hasn't been called up to the Socceroos yet, but that's a perfect yeah. example of someone who waited it out, made the right career choice, and is reaping the benefits. Nathaniel Atkinson as well. Yeah. No, yeah. And he's worked his way in the Socceroos because of it. That's right. Even. Um... Oh, do you know? I've got another yeah. name uh, Johnny Stensness. Uh, in Norway, just smashing it now, playing regularly in Norway, moved from the Mariners. John, Johnny Stenson has been phenomenal since he moved to Norway. Absolutely brilliant. Honestly, yeah. and uh, they are in title contention, if I'm not mistaken. Viking no, they they are. As well. And what is it? Um, uh, they're in the, I think, Conference League quali- qualifying as well. So he'll just get that extra bit of exposure. No, he's doing fantastic. Just another example of the right age at the right time to move to Europe. And the right move. And he's actually, for the most part, with uh, Viking FK, he's been playing as a centre-back, Gianni Stenzenis as well. And uh, yet, yeah, last time Graham Arnold used him, he put him in midfield. Um, but anyway, whatever. Um, the, the, uh, I, I got it because Antonis isn't here. So I've got to kind of take the, take the throne as the Arnold kind of critical of Arnold, uh, you know, mantle of the podcast. Anyway, but... <laughs> So the final, the final is yeah, Uzbekistan versus Saudi Arabia. If if anyone listening cares, so uh, <laughs> you can you can watch that if you like. Uh, anyway, we are going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to have a bit of a discussion about Harry Kuehl, Harry Kuehl joining Celtic with Ange Postecoglou. Interesting. Okay, so Harry Kuehl has joined Celtic. He's joined Edge Postacoli's coaching staff, backroom team as a first team coach. I'll just throw it to you. What's what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, look, interesting because we see like the managerial history of Harry Kuehl and uh, just, just, bit... Yeah, yeah, just leave that to me. I'm gonna get through a few stats in a second. But yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay, so stats aside, it's just been fucking bleak. Like it's just been terrible. <laughs> He's just struggled with Watford under 23s. I think it was, did he go with Woking? Let, let me just have a quick look with no, Woking. Crawley, no, was... so yeah, Crawley, <laughs> Crawley was his best stint. I think he had 40. Yes. That was his highest win rate at, a, at an astonishing 41%. So <laughs> that was that was an excellent stint at Crawley. So yeah, Watford under 23s, Crawley, Oldham, Notts County, and Barnett was the most recent one. Barnett, seven games, zero wins. Two draws and five defeats, oh. and just dropped sacked <laughs> seven yeah. games into the season. So I'd, I'd say you can't judge someone after seven games, but considering his career thus far, they probably looked at it and went, "Okay, there's maybe a reason why he yeah. hasn't lasted that long at other at other clubs." So it's like and, up the as early as we can. That's right. And look, we all know Edge Postecoglou is a genius, and I will basically just knock out anyone who says otherwise. Very simple. So. There's that. 
And if I'm Edge Postacoglu, I can't be looking at that resume and that CV and being like, hey, hey, uh, CEO, whoever Celtic CEO's name is. I don't know that. Uh, you know, let's get on the phone with Harry Kuehl. Let's Let's get into contact with him because, you know, this guy, this guy can coach. Based on yeah. uh, based on these stats, but so it's it's pretty obvious here that uh, obviously Harry's only got this move because of Ange, and it's an Australian thing, this that and the other, which is absolutely no problem. And I I trust Ange's judgment. Why wouldn't you? So there's there's obviously something going on there, which is fine. But I think you have to say this though: if anyone's kind of oh, look, we just did it, but that was a bit more of a, for 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 the funny side of thing in the banter. But in all seriousness, he is a first-team coach. So it's not like he is going to be an assistant coach. It's not like he's managing the team or anything like that. He's joining, he's becoming a part of the backroom staff and lending a hand. And if anything, sometimes these first-team coaches can be good motivators. And we know Harry Kuehl. We know what he's done, what he's achieved. And it might just help them, particularly Celtic going to Europe this year. We'll be playing in the Champions League. The stakes are higher. So... Having, I'd imagine maybe Andrew's thoughts were having an extra guy around who understands what we want to do, who appreciates me, who's, who I'm very close with, I'd imagine as well, uh, will be will be a lot easier to get to continue to get this uh, this message out, which is clearly working at Celtic. Uh, wait, sorry, is he the assistant coach? So just in case if Postecoglou gets suspended for a game or is ill, is he taking over? Or is no, 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 he's not. He's oh. not assistant. He's a first team coach. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. And uh, I don't think. Look, if you can't win a game in 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 the sixth tier, no, sorry, the fifth tier uh, of English football, then I, I don't even I don't even trust you for ten minutes in uh, in the Scottish Prem. I think. Look, yeah. personally, I don't hate this move. Actually, I think. Oh, yeah. I think look for what his career has been thus far as a first team manager is it's well, very clearly he's struggled, but um. I think this move might just give his career, his managerial career the reset that it needs. He's not going to have a lot of pressure on him. He's not going to be the one coming up with the big ideas for how to win games. He's essentially just going to be there to help produce Ange's vision. So it might just be a good thing for him to maybe learn off Ange a little bit, see what he can do, maybe get some more ideas under his belt before he then tries to go back out on his own. Might be a completely new person after that. Well, I will defend one of, Kill's jobs, which was the Oldham job, because Oldham were completely in disarray when he was there. Disaster of a club. Paul Scholes went there for a month and left. You know, fuck knows what happened there, for example. So, yeah, they were a disaster. And we even had Sean N, who's one of our writers, of course, broke a story on the site. It would have been about, well, maybe a year ago now. It was a while ago, but of David Wheeler, who used to play for Oldham, he's, he's a lower league player in England. And was there when when Kiel was coaching, and he came out and just just completely went at him because he felt Kiel was basically giving into the giving into the direction that was or the the requests that were handed to him by the owners to not play guys like Wheeler because the contract situations and and blah blah blah. So I, I oh. yeah, so I would uh, give him you know the benefit of the doubt with that because clearly that was just a mess. But uh, yeah, look, I, I agree. This isn't. Uh, this isn't uh, anything to say that, you know, Kuehl is a bad move or anything like that. It, it's really just uh, more mentioning it, to be honest. Uh, it's interesting kind of Aussie connection there. And uh, Scotland is Scotland is becoming the 
young Australian players feeder league. It's now becoming the, I don't know, is it a feeder for coaches kind of in a way now as well? It, it's Scotland and Australia. This link is, uh, is growing uh, um, very well at the moment. Yeah, and I think we discussed this last um, podcast um, for my last appearance, sorry, but um, <laughs> that I yeah, you, got, you got to get in, on, you got to get on here every week, man. It's yeah, you know, you've got to be better. But, yeah. Anyway, but like with the um, what was I going to say? Uh, Scottish league compared to, I'd rather sorry, young players um go to the Scottish league, be that feeder uh, league to Scotland rather than um the I don't know Scandinavian leagues like Norway or Denmark, because in Scotland, you've got that exposure to that, that English, oh, sorry, the British media, um, I don't know, bias or like popularity. So if someone, in, someone good from Celtic performs, then the whole of the UK is on it. Or if someone, you know, a gem from Hearts does well, then, you know, then it gets popularity. So I really rate that this Scottish league has become the feeder of Australian football, which is, and it's, as I said earlier, um, the coefficient, the club coefficient of uh, the Scottish League is ninth. So it's not like, you know, it's, I don't know, 12th or something. It's the ninth best league in Europe. So, yeah, no, I, I rate it. I'm very happy about this um, feeder Scotland-Australia relationship thing. Well, yeah, Cody, yeah. I think the best thing with the Scottish League as well is that there is a very similar style of play to what we have in Australia. So it's kind of that little bit physical um, fast pace, probably the biggest difference between the two, obviously, is where it's situated. Obvious, um, obviously, you go to Scotland, you've got the chance to play Champions League, Europa League, Conference League. So it's, you're going into an environment that's very similar to what we have in Australia, but you're also getting the chance to play in those... Um, I don't know what the word for it is, the bigger matches, I guess. Well, I think, I think, I think maybe it's circling around this but i think the biggest thing about scotland and the championship and even league one and stuff and the reason why i think we have a look at these moves maybe a little bit differently than we do to some of the other moves in europe is the amount of games that the guys play so not only now is someone like kyle rolls going from the a league to the scottish premiership so he's going to a better league but now he's also going to be playing 10 extra games he might you know plus Cup fixtures, who knows if Haas go on a cup run, he could be playing in a semi-final at Hamden in front of, you know, 60,000 people. So it's it's the heightened pressure, the heightened intensity, all of this, I think we we look at with a different perspective when we appreciate more. So yeah, that's that would be my take. Ian, any uh any other thoughts? No, I just I'm just as I said earlier, I'm just very happy. Um I much prefer this, as I said, than the Scandinavian League and the Scottish League is good as well uh, in the term of uh, more matches. You know, you're playing so many competitions, as you said, European football, but also the League Cup, the Scottish Cup. Um, what else is there? You got the, how is it? 38 games, I think it is? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. It's a games. very long, daunting season. Uh, weather conditions, it's cold, you know, um, completely different to Australia. Um, so I think it's a demanding, to be in that demanding environment, it's a very good thing for uh, player development. And um, I just wish it... Look, you will have those Euro snobs that say, oh, it's not England, it's not the championships. How many, time, how many times have you said Euro snobs in this podcast? Oh, they just they piss me off, that's why. <laughs> uh, they're in my, they're in my uh, head rent-free, so yeah. But um, now, as I said, it doesn't please everyone, but it's better than 
going to, as I said, Norway, Denmark, Sweden even. Because those, don't get me wrong, those leagues are still competitive. they got their European football, but I just think Scotland more demanding, more matches, more media attention. Um, and yeah, and you can just see how quick, if you're like how quick of a cop figure hero you can be there. Devlin was there for like first two, three games and already people were giving him his praises. Ange Postacoglu got songs the, for Devlin. Songs, yeah. <laughs> and um, what is it? Ange Postacoglu got the kangaroo and those Australia, you know, those, not the bucket hats, but you know what I mean, with the beads and everything. You got those going around. Um, and yeah, no, I, I, as I said earlier, I think that this is a very good um, relationship football-wise between Australia and Scotland. I think there's, if there's any uh, Bodo Glimt fans listening to this podcast, they're probably going to be like, what the fuck are you talking about? We just smashed Celtic in the in the Conference League last season. So, you know, Norway's, yeah. Norway's better than Scotland. But... Uh, beat Roma. Yeah, yeah, beat Roma. What was that again? 6-1. 6-1, yeah. That's yeah, in the, in the group stage. But then but then Roma actually beat them. I think they knocked them out then. Yeah, they uh, did. Later. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right, obviously, because then Roma, of course, won the, won the thing. Anyway, going off topic. But Ange Kiel at Celtic, second season. What do we... Really early predictions. What are you thinking for Ange second season? Um, just quickly, I think definitely top two. As as boring as it sounds in Scotland, I, I just think it's just between those two teams. Uh, so, no, you know what? I think with roles and stuff, I think Hearts are gonna just they're gonna break in the top two this year. Yeah, uh, that, that was me being that. that was me being yeah. sarcastic. You can't tell. Sorry, I just can't tell. Like, you know, for your love with Adelaide midfielders as well, just can't tell if that's legit or not. But um, now with Ange, definitely minimum is uh, at least two trophies, in my opinion. Two trophies, minimum. Uh, That's either like, you know, the the League Cup, the FA Cup, oh, sorry, Scottish Cup, and either the Scottish Premiership. Champions League will be very interesting. Uh, I feel like like he's going to prioritise it a bit more. Now that, he he's got, now that he's got the league in the bag, he's got the league cup. So I'm, I'm just worried that he could get, as much as I wish Ange the best, and it'll be very exciting, the Champions League is another level. And I'm just a little bit worried that if they get drawn, I don't know, a City, a Barcelona, Real Madrid, who knows, that could cause, I don't know, a little bit. Oh. Yeah, let's, not think... forget, hmm. let's not forget, sorry, Christian, Ange's record in Europe was terrible. Um, it, it, they, they failed to make the Champions League. I know that was early on in the Europa League. Um, they the performances third. were the performances were decent, though. I will say that. I the, think the I remember he was right. I remember him talking about this. They had a game against uh, Bay Leverkusen in the Europa League group stage where they lost four 0 at home. But you actually go back and have a look, even at the stats uh, there as well. Like they had a lot of the ball. They had a lot of shots on goal. Actually, more I'm pretty sure than Leverkusen. So mm. it's weird. I think. The important thing with the Ange teams is how are they playing? You know, are they having any sort of domination in the game? Are they having control in the game? Because if they have that, then usually it leads to better things later down the track. So I wouldn't I wouldn't expect them to, if they get drawn obviously against Real Madrid or whatever, you know, you don't expect them to win the games. But I think the positives for him will be how do we really let's test ourselves against these guys? How do we match up? What can we do? Well, if I remember correctly, didn't the last time Celtic played Barcelona, they beat them 2-1? Yeah, oh, no, no, no. The last time was like 7-0 under Rodgers. I remember that. That was like 2016 or 17, something like that. But something about it before, they're in a very, very good spot now. And I could see Ange making the changes from last season to this season as well as they did. He understands 
he wants he'll want to do well in the Champions League. He won't want to just be there to make up the numbers. They're already in the group stage as well, so they're going to be. They'll he'll be. This offseason will be sitting down, going, okay, no matter who we go up against, we need to make sure we've got the squad to compete. And I could see him going to the board saying, I need this, that, and this, making sure those players come in, making sure his squad's ready, even if it just means bringing in a little bit more depth well, to yeah. handle trying to be competitive in all those competitions. But um, yeah, I'll, I can see him two trophies, 100%. I reckon that's possible. But I can definitely see him being, seeing Celtic being competitive in everything this season. Well, one thing that will definitely be different is he's already there. He's had that season. So now it'll be pick up where he left off coming the second season and the preseason preparations will be much more fluid. He'll, you know, he'll be able to do what he wants. So last year he was really thrown in. He actually kind of arrived late, if I remember. And a lot of the players came back late as well because of Euros and whatnot. So that won't happen this year. Uh, I remember Carl Starfelt, who was the centre-back he signed, the Swedish centre-back, I'm pretty sure was thrown into his debut off the back of one training session, something like that. So that won't happen this year, you'd imagine, because uh, now he's he's built that squad throughout the success this season. So yeah, it's uh, exciting. Definitely, the cool thing definitely means that we're going to have even closer eyes from an Australian point of view, probably on this on this Celtic team next season. So will be interesting to see what happens there. All right, we're going to take another short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some A-League transfer rumors, a big one. Charlie Austin, heavily linked, and really from, from all reports, looks like it might be done, that he is going to be joining the Brisbane Roar ahead of this A-League season. That's when we come back. Okay, so Charlie Austin is reportedly close to securing a move to the Brisbane Roar. I guess would be the the first real marquee signing of this offseason, Charlie Austin. Yeah, yeah. look, inter- interesting. Um, Brisbane Raw. Has, has, he, do- has uh, he done enough to secure marquee status? I-, I think so. I think so. Just about. Yeah. Yeah. I think so as well. Um, you know, he's played in the Premier League, played in the Championship, um, scores goals. Um, the A League isn't like the Premier League in terms of like competitiveness. So I think that he'd probably shine here. Um, I think I've said this before on my last podcast appearance um, that Brisbane Raw are basically an NPL team. <laughs> I mean, they basically like they basically are an NPL team. So I think that um, experience that Austin can bring, that I know that international effort uh, side that he's played in in England, uh, that would definitely bring some more interest into Brisbane. And I think a lot of uh, the young lads can learn from him. Um, I just hope it's not like a Sturridge thing where he just comes to Australia and doesn't really engage with the league or the club. Uh, so I don't think so. I highly doubt that Austin is that type of moody player, but uh, I think it's really good. Um, yeah, I think it's okay. It's not like um, I'm getting out of my seat. Oh my God, Charlie Austin's coming to Australia. Wee. Nah, I don't think- I don't think anyone is, which is kind of an insult nah. to him. But... No, no, but it's more like, okay, not bad. Yeah, that view. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, well, because it's not one of those signings that make you go, oh, yeah, this guy is coming to Australia. I've got to make sure I go watch him live. I think that's probably where I'd say, okay, this isn't really what I'd consider a marquee signing. But by the same token, I think it's, as you said before, Brisbane kind of look like an NPL side at the moment. They're playing like one. Well, it's more exciting than Jez Lofthouse. Let's put it that way. 
But um, oh, Juan Lescano, <laughs> he was very, very disappointing in my opinion. But I think this is almost a sign of intent from them going, okay, we've had a bad season last year. We're not going. We're not going to make the same mistakes we did last year. This year, we're going to go. We're going to get some big names. We're going to get some good players. Charlie Austin's proved throughout his career. He's a, he's a proven goal scorer, and he's someone who I think can come here and keep that going. I know last year he was a bit in and out of the squad. I think mainly, correct me if I'm wrong, he did make most of his appearances off the bench and still ended up with seven goals. So yeah, yeah, seven goals, year. seven goals in 38 games in all comps last season, Charlie Austin. Yeah. Mm, yeah. 38 games, but I wouldn't say how many of those were full games as well. True, true, true. And I think there was definitely a feeling that he, he was on the way out and he wasn't at the level anymore. But yeah, obviously I made, you know, Jez Lofthouse joke that hopefully Warren Moon has realized that, look, mate, I know you love MPL players. That's great. He worked with a lot of them in in those school programs and stuff when he worked at you know Brisbane Grammar and stuff like that. Fantastic. But mate, this is the A League. You can't just have a policy that's only MPL players. <laughs> Look, as much as we love young players coming from the MPL, yeah. Warren, uh, Warren, just settle down a little bit. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, like he took it too seriously. Like, like Warren, I, I'd actually, I actually wouldn't mind if you signed a couple of like recycled, washed players, <laughs> like like a Jack Clearsby. Like, like go on, like like do that, and then I'd be a bit more like satisfied with your squad building. Anyway, well, thank you. you bring in a couple of those MPL players, but you need someone for them to learn off too. Like, yeah, Jess Lofthouse, Henry Hall. Well, Henry, Henry Hall, Henry Hall was actually the Henry one. Henry Hall turned out to be good, yeah, but he was he was good. The biggest attacker in that side ended up being Nikola Milayuznic. That's not someone who is not, not making you jump, kind of jump out of your seat, going, "Oh my god, how exciting!" Mm-hmm. I think someone like Charlie Austin, as much as it may not be that market figure, it would still be a very, very good player for them to learn off. Mm. Well, I don't know. If, I don't know. Sorry, if... when was the last time mm. Brisbane had like a, a marquee, like an international Well, th- this is this is a great question because I was just doing this research today. So really, it hasn't been since, since really 2018 that they've had someone who was kind of notable. But even then, so that was maybe Adam Taggart. But that was still an Adam Taggart. That was before like he went to Korea and stuff. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't Adam Taggart that we maybe see him now as like a soccer room. Another up Okay. Yeah, it was still maybe in his up and coming phase. So really, you have to go back to 2017, which would be uh, Massimo Macaroni or Macarone, if you want me to, you know, whatever. Yeah. And yeah, ooh. Anyway, <laughs> then you got Fahid Ben Kalfala and Eric Botiak. So that was the three that they signed in 2017 uh, ahead of that season, which didn't really turn out to turn out to be a, a great season. For, no, that wasn't a good season. No. Yeah. So it's I think they, it's they haven't really well. signed a marquee since then, which which I'd imagine would be COVID linked, of course. But it is interesting. I guess certainly Juan Lescano was not a marquee, and uh, <laughs> five goals, five goals in twenty games for that guy uh, last year. And you could you could see. I remember watching a couple of Brisbane games, and Warren Moon. I never see that guy really get angry, but a couple of times he was getting angry at Lescano on the side and I think it was to do with some pressing stuff and things like that and you just kind of like look mate as well Juan Lescano this guy is like he built like a tree he's like I don't know six foot four whatever like he can't press he can't press he can't run and he just <laughs> he, he was just one of those like standard like yeah okay this guy's gonna be a flop who cares get ready get ready to bring in the next one <laughs> for next uh, season and clearly they've done that so you know they've acted quickly they went for Austin looks like they're going to get him and, and he'll be the natural replacement. Just a bit of a random fact, by the way. I know he said earlier about Moon's love for NPL players and how he got Austin here. Just a, a quick one. 
Alex Fechner scored four goals on the weekend. Maybe he could join link up with uh, Charlie Austin. You never yeah. know. Yeah, Ian's Ian's plugging his boy here for the, uh, yeah, Alex, for the yeah. podcast. Uh, like, I don't know him, but yeah, I, I did an interview, I think. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, he, he's obviously been scoring a lot of goals in the NPL Queensland uh, level as well. But uh, yeah, look, I think I think if I'm a Brisbane Raw fan and uh, I knew that Warren Moon had a chance between, uh, you know, a choice between Charlie Austin or an NPL player and he went with the NPL player again, uh, I'd probably mm. start throwing things at the wall. But um, you know, anyway, uh, yeah, the, the marquee thing is interesting. And uh, yeah, Charlie Austin, so his best season was that 14-15 season, the Premier. That was with QPR in 2014-15. 18 goals, 7 assists. He got an England call-up at the end of the season that year as well. Didn't play. But clearly, you know, he, he has... That was a while ago, though. That's true. And uh, he, he does have a little bit of pedigree. So it will be interesting to see what he does for them. In recent times, he's become a bit more of a, uh, a media personality on TalkSport Radio. So... Uh, there's there's that as well. So we might we might even see him, um, you know, just jump onto the couch sometimes with uh with Tyra Russian and do some do some do some pre match and post match and uh, on the panel, you know. Oh, we, we we didn't make the finals. Damn it! Actually, you know what? I'll just join the panel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll just join the panel. That's all right. <laughs> yeah, I think that'd be good though. You have you see, it's, it wouldn't be the first time someone from overseas come to Australia, love the country, and stayed as a media personality. I mean, look at Thomas Sorensen. He's still in Australia. He's still doing a lot of work for us. I think. Having those personalities, if there's a reason why they'd want to be in the country for the years beyond their career, I think it'd be good to bring it in. It's just good for the game, really. Yeah. What what's what's uh your guys' thoughts on Brisbane just just hanging next? I mean, it's very early still, we know that, but you know, do do you see them improving? Do you think, you know, Moon's the right guy to lead them forward? No, I think Moon is the right guy to move them forward, but for me, they're still an MPL team. <laughs> just playing in the A-League. No, honestly, like, I understand, as we said earlier about Warren Moon, like, his love for NPL. Yeah, that's great, but it doesn't win you games and doesn't get you results. Um, well, I guess we'll see, because I guess a Henry Hoare type, he, he's going to have another season under his belt. Maybe the key with, maybe, I guess, his, his feeling made with the NPL guys is we see so many guys, young A-League players, who, who think that they're ready, and then they don't get the they don't get the game time. So then they just go on to the next club and the next club and the next club. And that's, you know, where the recycle league memes come from. So there's that, but maybe he feels if I sign a guy from the NPL who didn't think he had a chance of the A-League, maybe he might stick around a bit more and wait it out. So th- there could be a bit of that. Maybe Lofthouse is one who I think w- we thought might've, yeah, might've been kind of like this, this, dark horse kind of player from the NPL. It could have been good for them. He didn't really do anything last year, but maybe this year, I don't know. He could have a bit of a breakout. Who knows? Uh, but one thing that they got was Henry Hawes now an A-League ready player. So that's good. That's a tick. They've still got the Milliusenich piece. They've still got O'Shea, you know, Aldred. So I don't know. They're, they're very you know, English. They're very English, aren't they? Brisbane. You know what though? Just just quickly, I don't think I remember a decline in Australian football since Brisbane have left Suncorp. <laughs> Like, I just feel like that, I don't know, just for me, Brisbane are just poor. Yeah, what, what, happened with like, Brisbane, what happened with Brisbane is they left Suncorp to go to Dolphin Stadium to help the atmosphere and, like, you know, obviously, you know, because they weren't filling out that stadium. And fair enough, blah, blah, blah. But then I think they forgot that they, you know, you have to play football in the new stadium as well. Yeah. So. Not just that, but the new stadium is barely in Brisbane. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's I'm pretty sure a lot of Raw fans are a lot of Raw fans are not happy about that. They, yeah, they haven't been happy with that really since since it happened. So it's a, it'd be a combination of things. You've moved 40 minutes from the CBD. You've that the season before last, they had a decent side. I was personally a big fan of Dunzaki. Joey Chambers did a job for him. But you lose those players and you're replacing them with Melee Uznic and a couple of guys in the MPL. You're not, it's not, it's not the same pedigree. And then you're telling fans, okay, yeah, you're going to keep traveling 40 minutes away from the CBD, but we're not playing the same level of football we were last year. Of course, mm-hmm. fans are going to be turned away. Mm-hmm. And this could be a real pivotal year for them because if they have another year like that, even when they move back to Suncorp, people aren't going to spend money on trying to, on watching a play if they're not going to get their money's worth. Yeah, that's right. And if they can get playing well there, that is a nice, it is a nice stadium when it is full and people, well, you know, not full, but it, it's, it's majority full and, and people are going there. It does look, look all right at the A-League level. So, yeah. That's uh, I, mean. I think it's signing like Charlie Austin. If I wouldn't say that's going to be, he's going to be the savior of the club, but if that's a sign of things to come for Brisbane, where we're going to bring in Charlie Austin, but then we're going to bring in two or three other guys to help the team out, help build up the squad. Hopefully they build it around Jay O'Shea because if he's got the right players around him, he's one of the league's best midfielders. If they do that, they go on a run. They start winning games. Yeah, I think I think I think Jay O'Shea has to be taken a bit more seriously, in my opinion, because I think people maybe his performances got lost this season in the fact that Brisbane were poor, but he still maintained a, de- a really decent level and a really high level. So, uh, yeah, he, he's he's one of my more favoured midfielders. In uh, in the league, and maybe uh, yeah, maybe Ian, I should uh, go to Brisbane and watch watch him play in the midfield instead of watching Adelaide United midfielders. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, might be might be a shout there. Anyway, yeah, any, and then, uh, and then, yeah. sorry. Then one week later, you'd be like, oh fuck, O'Shea does nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically no midfielders. They can't can win. They can't win. I, I don't care what you do. It's like I will find something and I will scrutinize it to, to, to the very end. <laughs> anyway, any uh, any last uh, thoughts before we go um, on on the week? Big week with the Socceroos. Ian, you weren't here for the review pod, so maybe you've got to. You got a few I did years. listen to it. No, I did listen to it. Um, That's I just agree. not good enough. Like, what <laughs> listening to it? Like, no. I expect you to no, force but... your way into the Zoom call and find a way on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> no, but um, just a bit random, guys. Would you be a fan of Australia hosting the 2023 Asian Cup? I'm going to have a very unpopular opinion. Um, no. I think it ended up being a little bit more trouble than what it's worth, considering how close the Women's World Cup is off the back of it. It could cause, it could just cause a lot of drama with code wars. A lot of, I can imagine the NRL would not be pleased with us taking stadiums for another eight-week period. That's true. Um, not just that, but mm. it's an exciting time for the Women's World Cup. I think that's personally enough. It's going to be, and, and I think the focus needs to be on that. Yeah, I, I think that as well. It's a massive time. Personally, I'm very, very excited for it. One, I wouldn't want the focus coming off that, but two, that's a lot of money to invest as well. Mm. For you don't know what the reward's going to be. I guess we did well a few years back, but I, I don't think it'll be worthwhile personally. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. I think that's a that's a good take. It's a good take from okay. From and Cody and last one, guys. I don't want to sound like Christian, but last one. Uh, Trent Sainsbury, free agent. Where do we think he's going? How does that sound like? How does that sound like me? I'm, I'm trying to understand that. 
<laughs> I'm the answer, answer, now, the like... answer the question. Answer the question. Well, no, I'm the don. So like now, now I, I <laughs> ask the questions and you answer now. <laughs> oh. No, I hope he stays in Europe. To be honest, he's still a class defender, and I would like to see him playing a decent level of football in the lead up to the World Cup, but somewhere where he's going to get regular football as well. Yeah, well, I think Trent Sainsbury could play in the uh, Indian Super League and he'd probably still be starting with Socceroos because of the Arnold <laughs> connection. So that, that's all good. Look, uh, I am a big Sainsbury fan. I, I do rate him highly as a footballer. I may not have had his best years in the last couple of years, but... I, I, feel, I, f- I feel like Sainsbury's... He's been soft when he's played for Socceroos recently. I don't know what it is. It's like... I, I just don't feel like he's as dominant as... I mean, Harry, Harry Suter's different. That's... That's a different kind of, you know, he's just a beast. But he doesn't have that. He doesn't have that same sort of aggression. I feel like he, he had maybe before Trent Sainsbury when he plays. But he he, he actually had a good season. He, he'd have a good season in Belgium. So that that's always good. And yeah, hopefully he can keep that going. Yeah. My last one is sorry, sorry to be a bit bossy, um, but my last one is: Does Tom Rogic have a spot in the Socceroos if he moves to Indonesia? Well, so you, you think like Arnold's sitting there and he's like, if that, if, if he, if he does it, if he does it, then he's not playing. Don't do it. Don't go to Indonesia. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm just thinking that, I don't know, because he's got that experience with Australia. Perhaps. I don't know. The way I uh, see it, I wouldn't go, yep, you've moved to Indian Super League, your soccer is career is done. But if him playing at, well, it's probably not as competitive as what he can if he goes to a level and his performances then for the Socceroos start dropping as well, I think he'd be out the door a lot quicker than if he was still playing at a high level in Europe. Yeah, 100%. All right, I'm done then for my part. Go for whatever you want, guys. I'm, I'm here listening and I'm here to chat. Yeah, well, I think uh, I think that about, that just about wraps it up. Uh, we, I hope this is shorter than the other ones. We, we were trying to make it shorter, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I extended okay. it with my... With my MPL players, Moon rant. I don't know. Anyway, but uh, the yeah, hopefully we didn't touch on it in this podcast, but uh, we are hoping next Thursday night to have a bit of recording and talk a bit about the Socceroos centenary anniversary celebrating 100 years. And I'll see what I can do to get a guest. I'll leave it like that. And just yeah. a final shout out to our Aussies abroad. Good luck to Johnny Stensness, who's playing tonight at 2 a.m. in the Norwegian League. So yeah, just a shout out there. Yeah, and, and good luck, good luck to Uzbekistan and Saudi Arabia in the uh, Asian Cup that final. Off in forty-five minutes, doesn't it? What the? Uh, I'll be... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll be sleeping, but um, you can watch it. I'll be sleeping. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll be, ha- I'll, ha- I'll happily take the sleep. Um, but <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah, look, between the Socceroos and the our own twenty-threes, I've lost enough sleep throughout the month of June, so I might sit this one out too. <laughs> Yeah, this is a this is actually like we want to get up and watch football and stuff, but it is always nice when you know you get to the period where it's over, and there's no you know I don't have to get up and watch Chelsea anymore for a while. So that's good, you know. To well, look, in six days, um, the Matildas do return, so that'll be my awesome. Screwed again. Ah, yeah. fuck. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go again. Yeah, yeah. All right, that'll do it for the podcast. Uh, we. Well, this this one should be up soon. And yeah, we'll be back. We'll be back on this feed next week. Next week. Hopefully Friday or Saturday next week. 
and yeah that that'll do it so uh, until then we'll catch you next time